lot of the prophecies we're going to be studying in Daniel are based on the, the dream Nebuchadnezzar had in Daniel chapter 2, and we'll explain a little bit more about that as we get uh, into it. Unfortunately, I had a big picture, but I also had technical malfunction, so you can't have a technical malfunction with a sheet, so we're good to go. <laughs> we're good to go. It's all set, so I want to invite you to open up to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7. Now, as we've been going through Daniel, it's important that we realize Daniel follows a a chronological order, but he follows that chronological order in two parts. Chapters 1 through 6 are in chronological order, detailing the history of Daniel and his, his life, the things he accomplished. Then at the end of chapter 6, from chapter 7 through chapter 12, those next six chapters deal chronologically with the visions and the prophecies that God gave him during that time. So once you get to 6, that's the end of Daniel's career. When we get to 7, we back up to when Daniel was in Babylon and we begin to look at the prophecies that God gave Daniel through that time. So really chapter 7, if you wanted to know the the date line, the timeline it follows, chapter 7 chronologically would take place after chapter 4. But that would get things all confused. So we're not going to worry about that. We're in chapter 7, and this is the second division of Daniel, going through Daniel's prophecies and the visions that Daniel is given. So as we take a look, the other thing that we're going to want to hold on to, chapters 2 through 7 are written in Aramaic. And most people acknowledge that the reason that they were written in Aramaic is because that was the language of the Gentiles, and those sections of Daniel focus on Gentiles. They focus on the Gentile kingdoms of Babylon, uh, Medo-Persia, focuses in on Gentile prophecies in chapter 7. Now, when we get to chapter 8, the language changes from Aramaic to Hebrew, and Daniel's focus then turns from the Gentiles to the nation of Israel. And we'll see that as we take a look. So it's important that we have that kind of graft as we take a look. Um, as, we, as we begin, we want to look. Let's look at, uh, as you keep your finger in Daniel chapter 7, go to Luke chapter 21. In Luke chapter 21, what we're dealing with uh, prophetically here, I believe Jesus lays out for us in Luke 21 uh, verse 24. I'll race you. <laughs> you beat me. Man. <clears throat> okay. Now it says, And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. When we look back at Daniel, that's what we're focusing in on. The time of the Gentiles. In chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And in his dream, he saw the world's kingdoms. Four of the world's kingdoms, he saw them in in shiny metal. Gold head, chest of silver, thighs of bronze, and feet of iron, or legs of iron feet, iron mixed with clay. He saw this nice statue. In Daniel chapter 7, we're going to get God's view of that same prophetic picture. Only God doesn't see it as these shiny metals. God sees them as beasts. The beasts that are going to rise up. Now keep in mind, God's prophetic clock, His timepiece, if you will, has always been the nation of Israel. And we're going to see, as we continue studying through, how that is all going to fit together. But let's begin. Daniel chapter 7, verse 1. Okay, this takes place nine years after Nebuchadnezzar died. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. And he wrote down the dream telling the main facts. Man, I wish I could have been there. No, Daniel, really, write down everything. Because it helped me later on when I'm looking back. But, you know, the Lord laid it on his heart, what he was supposed to give us, what he was supposed to write, and he gives us the main facts. Remember, when we look at the Bible, 
and particularly at prophecy. Probably one way or another, all of us are going to be wrong. We try to see the prophetic eye. We try to look at prophecy. We try to back up and see it. And some things are obvious and something the Bible tells us. But other things are, are open to interpretation. Isn't it when we study the book of Revelation? I mean, how many times we say, well, it could be this. It could be that. You, you, sometimes you can say emphatically. Sometimes you can't. But one thing is for certain. God told us that the reason that we would know He was God and and all the other gods were false as he could tell us the end from the beginning. Now as we've gone through Daniel, we've already seen Isaiah the prophet 200 years before Cyrus was born call Cyrus out by name. We've already seen that. We get to Daniel chapter 9, you're going to see what I consider to be the most incredible prophecy in all the scriptures where Daniel told the nation of Israel the exact day Messiah would walk into Jerusalem. Exact day. We're going to see those things as we go through. But you know, when you look at all the other world's religions, you know what they have or what they don't have? Prophecy. There's not the prophetic word. The prophetic word is absent. God said, this will be the mark. I'm not afraid to tell you the end from the beginning. I'm not afraid to lay out before history takes place what history will take place. And as we saw in Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2, the Lord gave us the head of gold, the chest of silver, which we know the next, the next kingdom that took place was the Medo-Persian Empire. Two groups brought together, two arms. Then we see the thigh of, of bronze. We see the, the nation of Alexander the Great, the Greece coming through and conquering the world as that third nation. And then we come to the fourth nation, the Roman Empire, Why two legs? Because Rome split in two. East and west. Rome broke in half. And then, through a series of events, kind of faded out. Parts of the Roman Empire were conquered, but they kind of just oozed into Europe. Oozed into all these separate countries, not bound back together. Until, interestingly enough, around 1948. Something else happened about that time, by the way. The nation of Israel became a nation again. And we see the beginning of what had at one time been a power at least beginning to to come back together, only without the strength. It's interesting, Daniel would talk of that revived empire as iron mixed with clay. Iron mixed with clay is not all that tough, is it? In fact, the, the dream Nebuchadnezzar saw, a rock not cut out with hands, Strikes the statue at the feet. The whole statue explodes into powder and blows away. And that rock becomes the kingdom that will rule forever and ever. It envelops the whole world. We know he's talking about the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And when we read Daniel chapter 7, we're going to know at the end, the kingdom that he's talking about that will reign forever and ever is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So as we take a look at that, it's interesting the, the things that kind of coincide with it, okay? Kind of coincide. Here he's going to write down these main facts. Daniel, speaking, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. Now, throughout the the laws of, of hermeneutics tell us that when something is described in a certain way in the Scriptures, that's the way we want to hold on to. We want to hold on to it, okay? The sea... The Great Sea was always the Mediterranean Sea. But it was always, it always symbolized the place from which evil came. That's why when the Lord describes heaven, he says, in heaven there will be what? No more sea. No more sea. All this judgment, all these things would always rise up out of the sea. Oftentimes it speaks of the Gentile nations. But here we see the great sea is stern. And in fact, in the book of Revelation, we read the same thing when that final beast is is arising in Revelation chapter 13. Well, let's take a look. And he, uh, oops, I talked so fast I turned a page. Let's try that again. We don't want to move too far ahead. So, the four and four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. 
The first was like a lion, and it had eagle's wings. And I watched till its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And suddenly another beast, a second, like a bear. It was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus to it, Arise and devour much flesh. After this I looked and there was another, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. This beast also had four heads and dominion was given to it. And after this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. We'll pause for a moment. Now, when we get into prophecy, prophecy, just like the book of Revelation, is always signified. It's always put together by signs. Why? Because signs don't change. If I tell you a great red dragon came out of the of the dust, that great red dragon is going to hold the same symbolism it did when I spoke of it. We're going to picture it in our minds. It's it's different than saying this this kingdom or Satan himself rose up or whatever the case would be. So things are signified, but when we look at it so we can understand prophecy. Things maintain the meaning they had throughout Scripture. We don't say, well, a horn is indicative of power, and then turn around later and say, a horn doesn't indicate power. We want to maintain the same thing as we go through. So when we look at these things, that's what we're going to do. We're going to allow the Bible to tell us what it's talking about. We're going to allow the Bible to define the terms that are going on. And hopefully we're going to look back a little bit and be able to see the prophetic word made more sure in the scriptures. Now, there's a lot of views. I I don't want to tangle us up too much with all the views of Daniel chapter 7. People look into Daniel chapter 7 and they see a variety of things. I tend to see the traditional view that Daniel chapter 7 is God's view of Daniel chapter 2. We'll see that as we break down the kingdoms. But I want you to know there are other views. You don't have to accept my view. You can be wrong. It's okay. I don't mind. It doesn't bother me at all. But I do encourage you this. I encourage you to be Bereans. And that means what was, what was better about the Bereans, they took the word, they received it, and then they searched the scripture themselves to see if these things are so. Be Bereans. Be those who are enticed by the prophetic word and say, Whoa, you know, what else can, can this be? How can these things, what can these things show us? And so we'll get into a few of them right now, but let's just back up for a moment. In, uh, in verse 4, the first was like a lion. The lion, a lion with eagle's wings. It's interesting because in the museum of, of British history, the British Museum... The the lions that were on the sides of the gates of Babylon were lions with eagle's wings. That was a symbol for for what had been going on in uh, in and around Babylon. So when we take a look at the lion, let's consider Babylon for a minute. It says, I watched till its wings were plucked off. Well, that sounds like uh, something humbling, some type of humility. Remember we read about Nebuchadnezzar. What happened? He lifted himself up in pride, and God brought him low. For seven years he wandered insane until God restored to him his kingdom. So with it, this may be what we're looking at here. He also said, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. We see in that in the description of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar wrote in Daniel chapter 4 about an experience that he had coming to know the Most High God. Like God is exchanging his heart, taking the heart of the beast, as when he went crazy, eating ox and giving unto him the heart of a man. Now, that's not the only view I shared with you. There's, there's other views. I take what is considered the more traditional Let me share with you some others. When we consider these beasts, some people want to look at the prophecy and say, well, all of these kingdoms need to be future. And because they all need to be future, it can't look back 
at Babylon. Well, that's, that's not necessarily in the text, but that's where their, their supposition comes from. And so they look for future kingdoms. And they can see in the, in the lion with the eagle's wings the, the British Empire. The sun never set on the British Empire. And who did they father but the, the United States. The symbol of the United States is the eagle. The, the symbol of, of Britain was the lion. Even upon the crest, you can see those. And, and so they'll look at the British Empire. They'll go to the bear and they'll say, well, the symbol of the bear today is, is Russia. It's Mother Russia. And the fact that she lifted herself up on one side. And they'll go through and they'll apply those. Here's the reality. How are we going to know who's right and who's wrong? Well, time will tell, right? Time is going to show us the direction. But again, when I look at the Scripture, when I take prophecy when I interpret God's word I just want to take the most literal basic look at it what does it point to what seems to be the simple meaning what seems to be what scripture's pointing to and when we look at it there's this concept people believe that that the scripture lays out and it's saying to us hey these four kingdoms have to be future Babylon was already past it's almost over so how could Babylon be one of those but what the scripture actually says these four kingdoms will rise out of the earth. It doesn't say these four kingdoms are future. It doesn't say they're past. It just says that they're going to rise. What's the point of all that? There's a lot of answers out there for things in the Bible. Do you know that? There's a lot of people with opinion. We want to know the truth. We want to take the truth. I'm going to tell you, as far as I'm concerned, truth is absolute there's not seven truths there's one but the lord says that that it is in the heart of kings to to dig out to to pull out a matter it's it's god god the secret things are god's right but in the heart of kings he says they want to pull out they want to discover they want to dive in they want to ingest they want to make the word of god part of their life not just something they're they're they got sitting on the on the, on the end table somewhere that they read occasionally. Which way? What is the truth? What is actual? Just because I stand up here and tell you doesn't make it so. And just because you read a book doesn't make it so. There's only one book that I would say, if you read it in that book, it's so. Which one is it? The Bible. Everything else is man's interpretation, right? It's man's idea. So the way that I see as I take a look at what, I, what, what the scriptures say, I see this as the kingdom of Babylon, God's view. Babylon as a beast, not a nice shiny gold head, but that government that, that uh, is like a beast wanting to tear and devour. Well, it goes to the second one. Remember the second beast, like a bear, raised up on one side. I see this as a Medo-Persian empire. Why? The Medo-Persian Empire, the Persian Empire was mighty and strong. The Medes were kind of fading out. They joined in. So when it says a bear raised up on one side, the obvious conclusion to me is that the Persians, that they were mightier, they were stronger, they were more. And so they would be that side of the bear that was lifted up. It says that they had three ribs in its mouth. There are three prominent uh, battles that the Medo-Persians won. Those three battles are the battle for Babylon, for Egypt, and for Libya. But listen, guys, I can turn around and say there's three Balkan states that are the main states in Russia, and that's why it's Russia. Wow. Trippy, huh? You, you want to really mess with your noodle? I'll really mess with your noodle. Listen, it's possible both views can be right. It is often in Scripture we have what we see a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. We see things pattern. Remember, I told you the Hebrew mindset is not the Greek mindset. When a Hebrew reads Scripture, when he looks at prophecy, he looks for patterns. When a Greek, how do we look at prophecy? Prediction fulfillment, right? Prediction. Nostradamus, he said this would happen. Did it happen? That's how we see prophecy. But in the Hebrew mindset, it's pattern. It's all about pattern. And, and we're going to see over and over and over again, especially when we start talking about the little horn and the Antichrist, didn't John tell us that even now there are many Antichrists? By the word, the, 
by the way, the word Antichrist doesn't mean, it doesn't mean the one against Christ. It means the one in place of. Instead of. Instead of Christ. Remember Jesus said, I've come in my Father's name and you have not received me. Another will come in his own name and what? Him you will receive. That is the spirit of Antichrist. Somebody in the place of Jesus Christ. So we're going to see throughout history there have been many Antichrists, haven't there? That, that figure, that type, that, for lack of a better term, pattern, right? That pattern. So it's what we want to look for when we look prophetically. We want to see pattern. We want to see what the Lord is laying out for us. Well, when we look at this as the Medo-Persian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire came and overcame the Babylonian Empire. It's, it took Babylon, remember we talked about, it took Babylon without a battle. The Babylonians were partying. The Medo-Persians diverted the river, walked into the city, killed Belshazzar, who was at that time... Uh, holding the office of the king of Babylon while his father, the real king, was in uh, northern Arabia. And the business owners in Babylon didn't even know they'd been conquered for three days. His business just went on like normal. Didn't even have to to fight at all. But the Medo-Persians were known for this. They devoured up flesh. Huge army. Million-man army. You know why the Medo-Persians fought so hard? Unlike the Romans or the Greeks before, the Medo-Persians had all the soldiers' families follow them. So when they would set up camp, they would put the families of the soldiers right behind them. So when the soldiers were out fighting, if you lose, your family's right behind and there's nobody between your enemy and them. They moved like a lumbering beast, not fast, like a lion or a leopard. They were slow because they had all these people moving through them. So we see a pretty descriptive view of what the Medo-Persian Empire was like. The second empire, the same as on the statue. Medo-Persian Empire, two arms, the Medes and the Persians band together to form the second kingdom. Well, let's look at the third. It says, now and then... After this I looked, and there was another, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. The leopard. The leopard was known for speed, was a symbol of speed in the ancient world. And in the leopard we see the the kingdom of the Greek, the Greek kingdom, Alexander the Great. By the time he was 28, what had he done? Only conquered the whole known world. That's all. By the time I was 28, I didn't even have a house yet. He conquered the whole world. And we see this leopard with four wings on its back. Even more speed, quick. We're going to see, as we look at it in chapter 8, we're going to see the goat and the ram. And we're going to see an even more descriptive view of Alexander the Great and the battles that he took. In fact, I shared with you, Jaduah the high priest took the book of Daniel out to Alexander the Great and showed him those prophecies, which was why Alexander the Great didn't destroy Jerusalem. Just passed by. Now, Jerusalem didn't want to fight either. Alexander the Great comes. You just say, hey, whatever. What's Mikasa is Sukasa, right? <laughs> so he just, he passed through. But he did come into that place. He did take a tour, according to the Jewish historians, of the temple and take a look at some of the things that were going on there. Okay, but we see this. Here's the interesting thing, guys. He said that this that this beast had four heads. Do you know when Alexander the Great's kingdom was divided, his generals came to him and they said, Alexander, how do you want to divide your kingdom? And he said, let the strong have it. Now, what do you think that started? That didn't go very well, right? Actually, you have six generals rise up and try to take parts of Alexander the Great's kingdom. And they were swallowed up. It ended up with four. Four generals took the four corners of Alexander the Great's kingdom. And we're going to see that emphasized again in chapter 8 of Daniel. The four heads of the leopard go to the four generals that divided the kingdom into four parts. The four generals are, boy, I really should have my glasses. Cassander, Lysicomus, Seleucus, 
and Ptolemy. Four generals that divided the kingdom of Greece. And then we have the fourth kingdom. Now, remember, as we take a look at this, there's four beasts, right? And if you look at the statue, you have a head of gold, a chest of silver, uh, thighs of bronze, legs of iron, and then the feet are different, iron mixed with clay. They still have within them the iron, but it's weaker. It's weaker. So most people see that as a Roman Empire divided into two parts, and then a revived Roman Empire that doesn't have the strength of the old Roman Empire, but yet has the authority. And we're going to see as we look at Scripture how that bears out. Well, this fourth beast, well, look what it says about it. This fourth one is dreadful, terrible, exceedingly strong, huge iron teeth. It was devouring and breaking in pieces and trampling the residue with its feet. Everywhere you hear the Roman Empire described, that's how it's described, especially in the Bible. Rome took greater, greater, uh, they, they loved the fact that they killed everything. They destroyed everything. When Babylon came in and took over the kingdom, when it conquered Israel, what did it do? It went through and picked the brightest minds out of Israel, right? That's how Daniel ended up part of the Babylonian kingdom. Rome didn't do that. Rome slaughtered everybody. If the Romans came and they set up trenches around you and built their wall and began their siege, there was only one outcome. In 70 AD, when Rome surrounded the nation of Israel, what happened? Well, exactly what Jesus said would happen. Not one stone was left upon another. Wow, that's, that's pretty devastating, isn't it? That's how Rome conquered. That's how Rome fought. And that was what they were known for. They were known for their ferocity, for their ability to destroy, their ability to harm. And so, and, and then look, it was different from all other beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Now we're going to get into the ten horns in a minute, but I want to remind you, on the statue, you had two legs, two feet, and also brought out in that statue, ten toes. Ten toes on the statue are going to refer back to the ten horns. We're going to see as we, as we break into it, he's going to tell us what those horns are all about. So let's go a little further. Verse 8. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, okay? Another, not one of the ten. Another horn, the eleventh. A little one coming up from among them, before whom the, the three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. Okay, this is one of the names by which the quote-unquote Antichrist goes by. The little horn of Daniel. So he saw ten horns. We're going to see these ten horns as ten kings. Horn being a symbol of power. Ten kings are going to rise up. And in amidst these ten kings... Up underneath, growing through those ten kings, at the time of those ten kings, is going to come an eleventh one, a little horn. But he's got a big mouth. And he's constantly speaking pompous things. Over, and You're going to hear him described like that more than any other description in the Bible. Book of Revelation calls him the same thing. Speaking pompous words against the Most High God. This little horn it becomes a symbol of the Antichrist. Now listen, let me show you how people viewed this. They would look at the fourth kingdom, fourth beast, as the United Nations. At the time, the United Nations had, you know how many security members? Ten. Well, today they have fifteen. Now, that doesn't mean at some point it doesn't revert back to ten, right? But the Scriptures tell us what will be true, whether it's the United Nations or whether it's a revived Europe. I find it interesting, uh, at about, about a month and a half ago, two months ago, a newspaper came out, and they said that Europe, you know how they have the Euro, the, the, the European nations have banded together, they're getting stronger. Um, in fact, they're in a be way better position than the United States is. Uh, it costs about six bucks or more for just a regular cup of coffee. I'm not talking about frappuccino, cappuccino. Just talking about a cup of coffee. But nonetheless, 
when, when they go over there, this is what they have decided. Because there are so many countries and so many different languages, they have decided, funny thing, to divide the languages of Europe into ten language regions. There will be ten languages that will be focused on throughout Europe. Now, is that the ten horns? Those ten languages, ten regions, the leaders that come out of those ten regions, will they be the ten kings? three of whom the Antichrist is going to overturn so that he can come into power? Well, maybe. Maybe not. What I know is there are going to be ten. And the little one, the eleventh one, he's the Antichrist. He's the one who will destroy three of those ten. So there are seven of them and one Antichrist. Eight altogether. And he's going to overturn them. And the other thing that I know for sure, he's going to have a big mouth. He's going to speak pompous words. He's going to speak pompous words, according to the book of Revelation, against those who are in heaven. He's going to speak pompous words against the Most High. He's going to speak pompous words against the nation of Israel. These things we know. Who is He? I don't care. I don't care. I know He'll come. But I'm not looking for the Antichrist, folks. If you're spending your time thinking, man, I want to, I, I want to see Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't care about the Antichrist. And I'm not necessarily looking for signs. I'm listening for sounds. The Bible says the trump will sound. And God will call His people home. Now, we can all argue about when that takes place, but what do I know? A trump's going to sound and God's going to call us home. So that's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm listening for. I don't want to waste my effort trying to figure out how many... When I was a kid, there had been a hundred different antichrists. Currently, who is it? Obama. Yeah. See? I mean, isn't that how it is? And in a little while, when some other knucklehead is doing weird things, it'll be him. It was Henry Kissinger when I was a kid. Henry Kissinger. Well, it wasn't him. It's been a long time, more than seven years, since they said he was the antichrist. That just doesn't fit, right? The Bible is true, isn't it? So when we put on our prophetic lenses and we, and we see the, the deep meanings that we can pull from the Scriptures, keep in mind, the one thing that is true is the Word of God, period. If someone comes along and says, oh yeah, but that, it's going to be like this, and it doesn't line up with the Word of God, that's not true. It's not true. God's Word is true. There is absolute truth. Truth is not relative. There's one. And I want to be a student that tries to find those things. I want to try to be a Berean. I want to look at things with an open mind and say, hey, what are the scriptures indicating? When we look at this beast, it seems to typify the Roman Empire. It seems to tip. Let's take a look and we'll see what I'm talking about. Well, first we get into the horn. So this horn comes up, this Antichrist rising up from among a ten-nation conglomeration that is tied to the two legs of iron, which have become iron mixed with clay. Not as strong as the old empire, but they still have the old empire in them. Where in Europe are you going to go and not find a little bit of Rome? For that matter, where in Britain are you going to go? Britain was the edge of the Roman Empire. In fact, if you look at today's leaders and you listed them out on a, on a board and you started to go through the current leaders, you could tie, I want you to know, you could tie each one of those guys to either Greece, Medo-Persia, Babylon, or Rome. Every one of them. To a part of, that, of those kingdoms. Iron mixed with clay. Part of the old mixed with the new. But we'll see. We want to have prophetic eyes to see. Do we, we don't have to be locked in and say, this is the only way it can be. Because that's probably the most sure way to ever be wrong. Okay? Some things we can. Some things we can. But let's take a look. Let's see. Let's open our heart and open our eyes to see and, and have the Lord guide us. So, look at verse 9. And I watched till thrones were put in place. Does that say throne or thrones? Thrones. Doesn't the book of Revelation tell us that there will be 24 thrones? And in the center, one throne? And who sits on the one throne? Ancient of days. The ancient of days. The 24 thrones representative of 
the body of Christ, the, the saved tribulation saints, the church, the Old Testament saints represented, we see in the 24 elders in heaven as we take a look. Well, we see thrones are going to be set up and the Ancient of Days will be seated. His garment was white as snow. And there's no question who the Ancient of Days is, right? We all get that. Ancient of Days is Almighty God. And his hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame. Its wheels like a burning fire. Interesting, huh? We can get into Scripture and if we wanted to run down a rabbit trail of Ezekiel and his wheels within a wheel, and you look at the description of what Ezekiel's talking about and his prophecy when he saw wheels within wheels, and you start drawing the pictures of what it sounds like Ezekiel saying, it looks just like a flying saucer. I don't know. I don't know. We can take off running that way, can't we? But you know what else we could be looking at? The wheels always turning speak to the fact that the kingdom... That heaven is always busy. Things are always happening. Is God ever just take a day off? Now, sometimes I might feel like it. Sometimes I might feel like when one thing's going wrong after another thing after another thing, it's like, oh, Lord, are you taking today off? I, I feel like I'm drowning here. But is it true? No, that's just my feelings. My feelings lie all the time. The truth is God never stops. God never stops. So this may be what it's pointing to. Listen. A fiery stream issued and came forth from him, and thousands of thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. What are we reading about here? We're reading about the great white throne judgment. We're reading about that time when the living and the dead will stand before Almighty God. The thrones are set up. The Most High has taken his place. The kingdoms of the world, if you will, will be judged. They are destroyed. The kingdom of Jesus Christ is going to reign forever and ever and ever. We're seeing the same thing we read in the book of Revelation. The same thing Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 24, chapter 25. We're seeing those same, the same figures even, the same concept. Look what happens. The books were open. What books? Well, how about the book of life? The book of remembrance. The Bible lays out three different books. The third one is not the book of memory because I can't remember it. But there's three books. The most important... <laughs> how you guys like that? What's the most important one? Book of Life. Because if your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you're good to go. You're good to go. Okay? So the books will be open. And I watched them because of the sound of what? The pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. In the book of Revelation, what happens to the beast and his false prophet? They are thrown alive in the lake of fire. And a thousand years later, when... The, the, those who have been judged after the great white throne judgment are cast into the lake of fire. Guess who's still there? The Antichrist and a false prophet. They didn't cease to exist after a thousand years in hell. They're still there. We read about that in, in Revelation. So as we take a look, here we see Daniel saying the same thing. The beast cast into the fire. We see the Antichrist cast into the fire. As for the rest of the beasts, look, they had their dominion taken away. Yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. What he's saying is all of these kingdoms, though they have diminished, they're no longer in power, they're still here. We know where Greece is, Rome, Medo-Persia. Well, we know where that is. That, that would be Iraq and Iran. Iran is the place of the Persians right now. And we have, so we see those peoples. We see those nations. Babylon, still in the middle of Iraq. Our soldiers go visit and every once in a while they'll bring a little stone back with a little stamp that says Nebuchadnezzar II, which was a symbol of Saddam Hussein while he was trying to rebuild Babylon. So we see that they're still here, but diminished right they're not no they're there's nobody really afraid of those nations taking over the world but many of those nations have ties don't they 
with a revived Roman Empire, with a Europe conglomerate coming together under ten languages, ten horns, ten leaders, through which rises up the Antichrist? We'll see. But that seems to me to be the direction that Scripture is taking. Well, let's go on. So, verse 13, I was watching in the night vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man. Now, we know who that is? Jesus Christ. One like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. Who was given the kingdom? Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us what will happen. The Bible tells us in that time that Jesus has combined or, or all those that he has saved, gathered together in one. He lays down that work of redemption at the Father's feet. And the Father gives to him the kingdom. He gives to him that place where we will live forever with Jesus Christ, not like where we live today. A new heaven, a new earth, forever. No goodbyes, no, none of the sorrow, no crying. The scripture lays those things out for us. Well, this is what he's talking about, isn't it? And who is the clouds of heaven that are coming with him? That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Coming in the clouds. Don't we read that in the, in the scriptures in the New Testament? Brethren, since we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, right? Who's that cloud of witnesses? It's, it's the body, the bride of Christ. Who's the bride of Christ? The church. The church with Jesus comes there. The church doesn't have to fear the great white throne judgment. We don't go to it. Scripture bears out the great white throne judgment is for the lost. Not for the saved. Everyone that comes to the great white throne judgment, their name's not in the Lamb's book of life. That's how they got there. That's how they became a part of that judgment. Well, it says now, to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. To all people, nations, and languages, or that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Okay, remember the dream Nebuchadnezzar had. What destroyed all the kingdoms of the world? A rock made without hands, right? Striking the statue in the feet and blowing it into powder. And that rock grew until it, until it overshadowed or overcame the entire world. Well, the Bible tells 1 Corinthians 10, who's the rock? The rock is Jesus Christ. The rock is Jesus Christ. So then we look at this prophecy. We look at these dreams that Daniel had. And what do we see? Four beasts. Four beasts that are overcome, uh, that stand before God in judgment, ultimately cast into the lake of fire. As they're cast into the lake of fire, we see Jesus Christ coming into His kingdom, a new heaven and a new earth, which will never, ever, ever pass away. Now, don't we see similarities between the rock destroying the four kingdoms that Nebuchadnezzar saw and Jesus Christ ruling and reigning and conquering the four beasts that were given dominion for a time but now are washed away? So we see in God's view the same thing as the, the one thing that's for certain in the two dreams, the end's the same. Jesus Christ will reign forever and ever. And that's what he's laying out for us here. So, look what happens. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body. And some of you are saying, I'm grieved, because Jackie doesn't make any sense right now. And the visions of my head are troubling me. So I came near to one of those who stood by. I want you to underline that. And when you read the book of Revelation, when it talks about how that, that John was in the spirit on the Lord's day... Didn't we see John as he is kind of has this out of body experience? He's taken into heaven. The Lord has shown him. Doesn't he talk to people around him? He talks to an elder. He talks to an angel. And here, look what Daniel says. I came near to one of those who stood by. Maybe one of those who stood by is, is one of those who are in heaven. Maybe it's an angel. It doesn't tell us. But certainly he's talking to somebody. I came to one of those who stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. So here we want to hear what the Bible has to say about it. Those great beasts, which are four, are four kings which arise out of the earth. 
plain meaning of the text. Four kingdoms that arise out of the earth. Not that will yet arise, not that will our future arisen. Four kingdoms. One of the reasons I hold to the view I hold to is this. God's prophetic clock is the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel ceased to exist in 70 A.D. Which part of the statue or which beast was in control at that time? The Roman Empire. And the clock stops. And then we enter into the time, the, the, until the fullness of the Gentiles, right? In 1948, what happens? In 1948, we see the nation of Israel again begin to rise out of the ashes. And at the same time, what's going on in Europe? They're beginning to, to come together and band together and build what we know today as a European common market. They happen at the same time. They're linked. Everything is linked to Israel. Everything is linked to Israel. As soon, folks, as soon as we take Israel out and we say, no, no, Israel's been replaced by the church. Israel has nothing to do with it. And then everything's open game. Nothing makes sense. And didn't God say in, in Romans chapter 11 that all of Israel would be saved? Now, don't get confused by that statement. Not everyone who says they're of Israel are of Israel any more than if I walk in a garage and I say I'm a car, I'm a car. God said, who is of Israel? Those who put their faith and trust in God, most high. Those who have their... Right now, if you go to Israel, there are only 10% of the population that are practicing at all, any kind of Judaism. Not other 90% don't believe in God at all, mostly agnostic or atheistic. Isn't that strange? Not everyone who says they're of Israel is Israel. Just because your mom was a Jew doesn't mean you're one of God's chosen people. God's the father of, of God's chosen people. His name was Abraham. Why was he the father? Because he was a man of faith, not a man without faith. So when the scriptures say all of Israel will be saved, it doesn't mean just because they were born a Jew they got saved. We're talking about true Israel. True Israel. And just like when we talk about the true church. Right? Is everybody who comes to church saved? Does everybody put their faith in, in, in God just because they go to church on Sunday? No. But the ones that are true, well, they're the body of Christ, aren't they? And it doesn't matter which church they're in, they're the body of Christ. They're the body of Christ, as long as they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. So, let's go on. Let the Bible describe to us what he's talking about. These four are four kings which will arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall re who shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever, beyond the vanishing point. Then I wish to know the truth about that fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, teeth of iron, nails of bronze, which devoured broken pieces and trampled the residue of its feet. See how it's described? Okay, same way, described the same way. And the ten horns which were on its head, and that other horn which came up from before, from before which the three fell, namely, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. So Daniel has a prayer. Hey, I want to know about the fourth beast. Tell me about that fourth beast. You know, the other ones were described like a lion, like a leopard, like a bear. But that fourth beast, there's nothing to describe it. There's nothing to describe it on earth to compare it to. He's just described as this devouring, destroying, conquering beast from which will come this world ruler. Well, let's look what the scriptures lay out for us in verse 21. So I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. Wait, what did he say? I was what? Watching. Didn't John watch what he saw too in, in Revelation? Wasn't he also pulled up? Wait a minute. Daniel's called beloved of the Lord. What was it that John was called? The apostle that Jesus, what, loved? Loved, pulled into heaven, given great revelation. Interesting. Daniel, beloved of God, brought into a heavenly place where he sees a vision. He's watching and he sees 
Okay, this is Daniel talking, right? He sees the horn making war against the saints and prevailing against them. What, what did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 16? Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. But here it says the Antichrist is prevailing against the saints. Well, the New Testament tells us that the church believers are saints. The Old Testament tells us that the nation of Israel are saints. Book of Revelation tells us that the tribulation believers are saints. So who are we talking about here? If you let how you define this word saint change the meaning of the scripture, it's going to define for you what's going on here. Some people will look at this and see the church in the, in the, the tribulation period being conquered or prevailed against by the Antichrist. But folks, that's in, in direct opposition to what the Word said in Matthew 16. And the Word doesn't do that. Now, who was Daniel? Daniel was a Jew. For Daniel, writing this Scripture, if Daniel was speaking, prevailing against the saints, who do you think he's talking about? He's talking about the nation of Israel. The saints. This is Daniel's time, not John's time. When John talked about the saints, who was he talking about? Well, he's talking about the church. When, when Daniel's talking about the saints, that's his period of time. These are his people. The saints. God's people. The saints. God's people. In the tribulation, the saints. God's people. Matthew 16 tells us that the gates of hell will not prevail against God's people. So as, as I read this scripture, I see this as a nation of Israel. Now we know the Antichrist is going to come against the nation of Israel in the greatest holocaust that has ever been known and try to wipe out God's people and at the same time all of Israel's children. That's what Revelation says. Israel has children? Sure they do. Who are the children of Israel? Who are the children? We have the, the, those who gave birth to the Messiah. Now who are their kids? Who are those that would come to faith afterwards? Well, they're the tribulation saints. The Antichrist was going to try to wipe out all the nation of Israel. Revelation chapter 12. The, the red dragon is there ready to devour the child as he's born, right? And that child is born. That's, that's the Messiah. Well, once that child's whisked away, the, 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 the Jesus Christ in heaven defeats the enemy. What does it say the dragon does? The dragon gets cast out of heaven and cast down to the earth. And he's angry because he knows he only has seven years. The moment that that happens, we know today, folks, the Scriptures tell us, Satan still has... The ability to go before the throne. He's called the accuser of the brethren. He can't accuse us from here. He accuses us there. But there will come a day when Michael the archangel, according to Revelation chapter 12, will grab up the devil by the nap of his neck and cast him out. And, the, and that's the third woe, by the way, in the book of Revelation. It says, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. For the devil knows he has but a short time. And what is his one desire? To destroy the people through whom Messiah came. Nation of Israel. Nation of Israel. And her offspring. The tribulation saints. Anybody who puts their faith and trust in the Messiah. So that's when we see this little horn prevailing against the saints. Let me ask you a question. How is it that a tribulation saint gets to heaven? We don't see the tribulation saints raptured, folks. We see them underneath the altar. The blood of the martyrs. The scripture tells us that they are going to be killed. Why are they going to be killed? Because they, like, remember patterns in history, remember patterns. When the, when the Christians were killed by the Romans, what were they killed for? Because they wouldn't take a pinch of incense and declare that what? Caesar is God. Now, what, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Isn't the Antichrist going to require 
all living to take a mark in worship to the fact that what? That the Antichrist is God. He's going to set up himself in the temple in Jerusalem. He's going to declare himself to be the Most High. He's going to demand worship. And when they won't worship, they will be slaughtered. And Daniel said, I saw the little horn prevailing against the saints. I saw the little horn prevailing. Scripture goes on as we continue in this, this, this mindset. Until what? Until the Ancient of Days came and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High God. Don't you guys hear the saints under the altar crying out, How long, O Lord? How long until you will avenge our blood? And the Lord saying, Just a little while longer until your number has been what? Fulfilled. And then He's going to come. It's going to be done. Revelation chapter 19. Jesus meets the armies there wanting to destroy Israel in the plains of Armageddon. And and here Antichrist, angry at Israel, but all of a sudden he hears about 200 million man army from from the kings of the east marching down through a dried up river Euphrates. And they meet together in the plains of Armageddon beneath Megiddo. And they're going to turn and their Antichrist beginning to fight the biggest battle of his life. And at that moment, Jesus Christ returns into heavens. And because Jesus returns, he unites enemies. And rather than fighting one another, they turn to fight him. Shortest battle in history. The Bible says Jesus destroys them with what? A sword that proceeds out of his mouth. That doesn't mean he opens his mouth and swords shoot out. What's the sword of his mouth? The word of God. What did God do to create the the heavens and the earth? He spoke and it was. What do you think he's going to say for it to go away? That's it. That's it. We read in the the book of Zechariah how Jesus is going to trample, trample the winepress of the fierceness of God's wrath alone. The scriptures talk about the, the, the blood being splattered up to the horse's bridle. Maybe the blood flows up to the horse's bridle. Down the Jezreel Valley, 180 miles long. It's a big place. It's not little. But one thing I know for sure, Scripture says that it's going to happen. It's going to happen. No question about it. No question about it. Well, let's look. I know we're going long, but I have a big mouth. Sorry. Okay, so, (laughs) and then the judgment was made, and what's it say? The saints possess the kingdom. Jesus will set up his kingdom. Thousand years of perfect peace. Right after the, the battle of Armageddon, you have the judgment of the nations, Matthew 25. The dividing of the sheep and the goats. The sheep enter into the kingdom. Thousand years of perfect peace. Satan is released for one season. At the end of that season, he raises up an army to go against Jesus. Instantly, we're at the great white throne judgment. All the lost are judged, cast into the lake of fire, new heaven and a new earth, and we live happily ever after. That's what he's talking about. That's what he's laying out right here. Now he said, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth which shall be different from all other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, break it in pieces. The ten horns, there are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom. Ten kings from that kingdom, that fourth kingdom. I see that kingdom as a revived Roman Empire and those ten kings coming up from Europe. Another shall arise after them. So first those ten will arise, and then what happens? The one... Who's the one? Antichrist. Antichrist will arise. He will be different from the first ones. And he will subdue three kings. He will overturn three kings, three kingdoms. And he will what? Speak pompous words against the Most High. And shall persecute the saints of the Most High. Persecute the saints of the Most High. Worst persecution in history is yet to take place. And he shall intend to change times and Law. Look at that word law. It's law singular. Law. Well, maybe if I'm Daniel writing this, there's only one thing I would refer to as a singular law. 
the Torah, the law, the law of God. Perhaps he, he's going to change those. He's going to try to change times. We'll see. And the saints shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and a half time. How long is that? Three and a half years, 42 months, uh, 1260 days. The uh, Bible describes it in a lot of different ways. One thing's for sure. It is the most documented time in all the Scripture. In all the Scripture. Most documented time in all of the Scriptures. And we take a look. But the court shall be seated. Okay, we're back to that place of judgment. And they shall take away his dominion. Whose dominion? The dominion of the little horn. To consume and destroy it forever. And the kingdom... Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey Him. This is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me, and my countenance changed. But I kept the matter in my heart. Hopefully that's where we are too. You know, we, we, we look at these things and we see how the prophetic picture comes together and, and it is a mind blower. It's a mind blower. If we look at it from the point of view that we're looking at those four kingdoms that were working in place until the nation of Israel ceased to exist, then when Israel comes back, we see a revived Roman Empire, the feet, iron mixed with clay, from which will come ten kings. Through those ten kings, an eleventh will spring up the Antichrist, he'll subdue three, turn them over, and we're cooking. We call that period of time what? The tribulation. The tribulation period. So this is what Daniel sees a vision of. And Daniel says, man, that is crazy. But what else did he do? Kept it in his heart. Kept it in his heart. He pondered those things. He pondered those things. The cool thing is, that's only vision number one. There are five more visions to go. And they all fit together. And in the end, you look and you say, wow, God revealed so much to Daniel. It is incredible. And through Daniel, he's revealing it to us. One thing is set. The word is true. The prophecy is sure. It will take place. But what, what are we looking for? I'm not looking for the little horn. I'm not. I believe the little horn will come just like, like the word says he will. But I'm looking for Jesus. I want to hear the trumpet. I want to be found ready. I want to seek his face. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Since I kept you till like 930 now. <laughs> well, I could talk a whole lot more, trust me. That was the short version. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the more sure word of prophecy. Lord, you declared to us in, in the scriptures, God, that, that we have the more sure word of prophecy. Father, just in Jesus he fulfilled 330 prophecies in his coming and in his ministry. Wow, so much evidence. So much reality, Father. But the one thing that we recognize through it all, your word is true. And the word that you give us, we can bank on it. We can trust in it. And the point that you're making in Daniel chapter 7 is no matter what it looks like to us, God's winning. His kingdom will be forever. And on that day, and all through my life prior to that day, I want to stand on the Lord's side. I want to be numbered among His people. Those who have put their faith and trust in Him. As a part of the body of Christ, I want to be His bride. Those who will never leave His side in, in fulfillment of the promise in John chapter 14. That where I am, you will be also. No more wondering. 
We'll always be in His presence. We'll experience these very prophecies that we've been reading about. We'll, we'll experience them from the other side. What a glory that will be. Father, let it be, Father, for us, all about that. Lord, I want to be counted your people. I believe your word. I see the truth in what your word declares. And in order for us to understand the prophetic word that you give us in the book of Revelation, we take the word that you gave us in Daniel and we meld them together. And it comes to this clear picture. Father, we ask, Lord, that you might be glorified and magnified in our lives. Lord, we pray that we would live each day looking, expecting you. May we live each day as though this is the day I'm seeing Jesus. Do I want to be doing this? Do I want to be doing that? What is it that I want to be doing today? Because this is the day I see Him. Father, may we live that way. For you declare in, in 1 John 3, 3, that everyone who has this, this, this belief within Him purifies Himself even as He is pure. Father, help us live that way. Let us not be afraid of persecution, tribulation, or hard times. God's people have always been persecuted. God's people have always gone through hard times. We don't have to be afraid. For yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me. We don't have to be afraid. Help us stand strong in all that we do. Father, may we glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.